This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashan Johan. Anton Protswak is the program's coordinator at Wikimedia Ukraine. For more than 10 years, he has been focused on decolonizing Ukrainian knowledge and preserving their languages. He joins me on the show today to discuss his work and how Russian invasion of Ukraine prompted a wide re-evaluation of the Ukrainian cultural legacy. Welcome to the show, Anton. How are you? Uh, hello. Good to see you and hear from you. Perhaps you could start by explaining the work that you do in Wikimedia with regard to decolonizing knowledge. The Wikimedia movement uh, in general works to create free knowledge in various formats, uh, right? Most notably, uh, the Wikimedia movement works to create a free publicly available multilingual encyclopedia, Wikipedia. Uh, Wikipedia is available in more than 300 languages and we at Wikimedia Ukraine support uh, developing Wikipedia in Ukraine. Uh, and uh, in some sense, the very fact of developing free knowledge in Ukrainian is decolonizing knowledge. <clears throat> and uh, every new Ukrainian Wikipedia article is decolonizing knowledge because for centuries of the Ukrainian language was oppressed by the Russian Empire, by uh, was oppressed by the, by the colonizers. And uh, knowledge today, knowledge in the Ukrainian language isn't as accessible in as accessible uh, and as uh, as wide as knowledge in some other uh, major colonial languages, so to speak, such as Russian or English, German, French. So developing knowledge in Ukrainian language and making sure that Ukrainians are able to consume knowledge in their mother tongue is is an is the most important goal for, for us as the Wikimedian community in Ukraine and Wikimedia Ukraine as an NGO support. Uh, and uh, I would say this is the most important goal we are driven by, developing free, free knowledge and then decolonization isn't, uh, it's not the only goal per se, but it, it is an important part of the puzzle. Could you share how did you get into this whole, you know, Wikimedia community? Because, um, you know, I was also talking to Taufik, um, um, you know, from Malaysia. He's uh, one Wikimedian of the year. And, you know, he was also talking about his journey, how he got into it. Right? And it's very interesting because a lot of people, everybody knows what Wikipedia is, right? But nobody, um, not many people say, I want to be part of it. And not many people know what goes on behind the scenes, right? Could you share how you got into this whole, you know, writing for Wikipedia and whatnot? Uh, yes, exactly. You are right. Uh, personally, I joined Wikipedia about 10 years ago uh, when I was still a school student. I, I, became, I became an editor. Uh, I became a volunteer author on Wikipedia uh, just because I was fascinated by this idea that you can you can create knowledge and you can share it with other people and other people will read it and will benefit from it, right? So uh, 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 when I write something uh, like a Facebook post, maybe 50 of my friends will read it. If I'm lucky, 500 of my friends, uh, 500 people will read it. But if I create a, a popular Wikipedia article, then thousands and thousands, perhaps even billions of people over many years will read it and will benefit from it. And at the same time, I will personally benefit from 
learning more about this topic as I as I work to to create or improve an article on that. So this idea was really fascinating to me, and that that was uh, drove me to join Wikipedia. And since I was still a school student, I had much more free time than I do now. <laughs> so that, that was also a, a, a part of that. And then uh, then I slowly slowly uh, developed uh, other interests. So. Uh, First, I was just uh, writing articles, and then I got more involved in organizational work. And now I have basically two roles. I'm still an author of uh, uh, I still write articles on Wikipedia, but but that's a volunteer position. Uh, but then I also work with Wikimedia Ukraine uh, as the NGO. I work as programs coordinator here, so basically helping lead uh, all of our uh, pro programs and. Uh, project activities in helping develop Wikipedia in Ukraine. Earlier you brought up how decolonizing um, knowledge in the Ukraine is very important, right? Because of the very long period of the Russian Empire, Russian colonization. How would you describe the Russian Empire? Do you consider um, the Soviet um, Union, for example, um, under Lenin um, and then Stalin and all that, the Russian Empire as well? That's a great question. So Ukraine was ruled uh, by the Russian Empire in various forms since the 17th century, right? So for, for over three centuries, uh, Ukraine was ruled by the Russian Empire. Uh, and uh, from the from the 17th 18th century to the beginning of the 20th century it was the russian empire proper right uh, it, it was the state that was called the russian empire and then it was soviet union for 70 years in the 20th century and uh, is it a russian empire formally no formally it, it was as it was a separate state with separate separate borders uh separate for, form of rule and so on but uh but was it uh, was it a russian empire in its spirit uh, I, I would say yes it, it was a continuation of the russian empire from the perspective uh of, uh, of from the from the perspective of uh, uh of, of of ukrainian culture ukrainian legacy being subjugated uh, subjugated to the russian rule at the very beginning of the Soviet Union, there was like a period of maybe maybe around ten years when when the when Soviet government was interested in promoting a language uh, of uh, languages of different ethnicities. There was a period of Ukrainization and uh, and promotion of other non-Russian ethnicities, but it was a very brief period at the beginning when the Soviet government was uh, trying to establish itself on a firm footing. And then when it when it established its rule uh, for for many decades after that, uh, Ukrainian language as languages of other uh, minorities in the Soviet Union was oppressed, was uh, was thwarted in its development. So let's talk about the region, reason uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine, because as I understand um, that. This reason an invasion um, prompted a wide re-evaluation of the Ukrainian cultural legacy for you. Could you contextualize this for us? Why? Why? What was so significant um, about that moment? Yes. So I would say that uh, more broadly, the full-scale invasion of Ukraine in 2022 was the moment when the whole world started paying attention to Ukraine. Suddenly, Ukraine 
became top of uh, top of news for uh, every major news outlet in in in, in every country or, or almost every country. So uh, it was uh, uh, it, it it was a moment when uh, people started paying attention to Ukraine, and that uh, and uh, and downstream from there there have been many many other uh, effects. Uh, most notably, I would say that uh, the the full scale invasion prompted the world to pay more attention to Ukrainian culture to to rediscover it. Uh, so before, uh, because of the impact of uh, of, of colonization, uh, because of the impact of colonization, uh, works of Ukrainian culture were uh, either not created in the first place because because they they were uh, thwarted from from its uh, infancy, so to say, uh, or they were often misattributed as as Russian. So, so there is uh, there is a whole uh, there is a big fate of artists and poets who who were Ukrainian in their origin, Ukrainian by ethnicity, but but they are known to the world. They had been known to the world as Russian because because of the sheer cultural uh, uh, cultural. Uh, impact of, of the of the Russian Empire and then its successor. So the full-scale invasion in 2022 prompted the world to to, to pay more attention to Ukrainian culture and uh, and first uh, consume more of Ukrainian uh, cultural uh, products. So, for example, much more works by Ukrainian authors are being translated now in other languages. In, in languages of Europe and languages of other continents. Uh, and then uh, the invasion prompted international cultural institutions to pay this, to pay attention to this problem of misattribution I just mentioned. So uh, um, international cultural institutions started to label as Ukrainians the works of uh, uh, artists uh, and uh, the works uh, the works that had been previously mistakenly attributed as Russian. So, for example, uh, London National Gallery renamed a drawing from its collection uh, from Russian dancers to Ukrainian dancers, because those are really just Ukrainian dancers, but but for many decades they had uh, been mistakenly attributed as, as Russian dancers. That's very interesting. Now, I want to tie that to the work that you do. How has the centuries-long legacy of um, Russification, um, of Russian colonization, affected the content of wiki projects um, related to Ukraine? And what kinds of biases and distortions have emerged as a result? Yes, so uh, there is really a lot of ways of how um, Russification affected the content of wiki projects related to Ukraine, but I would say that the most important way and the most important example is the impact on reliable sources that Wikipedia uses, such as scientific articles or other encyclopedias and so on. So um, our listeners might or might not know that Wikipedia is an encyclopedia that doesn't create knowledge from scratch. It is the foundational, the foundational principle on Wikipedia is that every every article, every fact should be should cite uh, reliable published second uh, published sources, uh, preferably secondary sources. So uh, I cannot write on Wikipedia something that I just know or that I just discovered. I can only add information that is supported by reliable sources. And uh, 
reliable sources don't exist in a vacuum. Uh, the creation is a result of uh, as, as a, is a result of policy choices, uh, a result of uh, a result of wo what works to get funded by the by the state, what works to get funded by by private institutions, uh, and what what work doesn't get funded. And for for many decades, for many centuries, sources created under rational colonial rule uh, omitted Ukrainian perspective, and this uh, translates into the content of Wikipedia because because of how Wikipedia works. So it's not it's not like a, it's it's not a conscious bias. It's not that Wikipedia authors specifically omit Ukrainian perspective. It's the result of this. Uh, uh, much uh, much wider impact on uh, on reliable sources. Uh, to give you just one example, an encyclopedia about Ukrainian settlements, uh, which was published during Soviet times, in a lot of cases omitted even mentioning of Jewish population in Ukrainian settlements, which were quite a, which were uh, usually a significant part. But because of an anti-Semitic policy of the Soviet government. Uh, it, uh, this information was often omitted, and uh, uh, Ukrainian Wikipedia, uh, in the early stages of its existence, relied a lot on this encyclopedia published during Soviet times because it's, it's normal for Wikipedia to, uh, to to rely on this on this published uh, source on this uh, on this reliable uh, encyclopedia, and that created quite a bias for the Ukrainian Wikipedia against mentioning a Jewish settlement. Uh, in Ukraine, uh, I, I, I think that this bias has been uh, has been fixed uh, over time. But but it's just uh, one of the many examples of of how uh, of how reliable sources uh, or a lack of reliable sources on certain topic shapes uh, Wikipedia content. On the show with me today is Anton Protsovak. He is the Programs Coordinator at Wikimedia Ukraine. We continue our discussion after the break. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashan Johan. And on the show with me today is Anton Protsovak, Programs Coordinator at Wikimedia Ukraine. And we are talking about Wikipedia's efforts in decolonizing Ukrainian knowledge and preserving its languages. So, Anton, you know, just looking at you, I'm guessing you were probably born in and around towards the end of the Cold War or perhaps slightly after the Cold War, just gauging your, your age based on how you look. How did that impact you as a person growing up? How did that impact yourself, um, your, your own personal identity, your relationship with your country, your culture? Could you shed some light on that, your, your own personal journey with your culture? Yes, of course. So I was born uh, already in independent Ukraine uh, after uh, the, the end of the Cold War and the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And that uh, probably, uh, of course, that, that shaped my uh, a relation to Ukrainian culture in the sense that I personally never experienced the persecution of Ukrainian culture and the prohibitions of Ukrainian language and so on. So uh, uh, I had been speaking my native Ukrainian language for my whole life, and I and and I uh, and I personally uh, uh, had uh, have been able to do that. But uh, I uh, but of course uh, I am uh, relatively young and. There are a lot of Ukrainians who, uh, who, who did not have this, who did not have this, uh, uh, this privilege. Uh, 
Uh, so, for example, even my relatives were persecuted for uh, uh, were persecuted for for helping uh, promote uh, Ukrainian culture uh, and, and Ukrainian language. So, for example, my grandfather was uh, persecuted and spent uh, spent a few years in Soviet concentration camps as a political prisoner because of his work to his work his work to promote uh, uh, to promote Ukrainian uh, culture uh, among other things um, my my parents were not imprisoned but they lived in the Soviet Union and they experienced firsthand uh, the, um, the, the, uh, the limitations imposed on the Ukrainian languages on the Ukrainian language uh, so for example, in the capital Kyiv, uh, Ukrainian language was um, had been uh, looked down upon for a long time, uh, and it, it was just uncool to speak Ukrainian, right? If you if you were uh, if you if you if you wanted to be cool, if you wanted to be uh, to, to be accepted in uh, accepted in high places, you had to you had to speak Russian, right? Uh, and uh, and that was the situation for a long time. It is different now, but but it was the situation for many decades, and it certainly impacted me because because I am part of of this environment, and uh, I am I am part of, uh, and this has been part of 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 the personal journey of my family, my friends, and so on. You know, circling back to, to Wikimedia, what initiatives and strategies has Wikimedia Ukraine undertaken to decolonize knowledge about Ukraine on, on Wikimedia platforms in response to the various challenges um, that you have brought up? I can give two examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first, the, the first uh, interesting example is Ukraine's Cultural Diplomacy Month, and it's an international campaign to invite uh, Wikimedians from across the world to write about Ukraine. So it is the colonization of knowledge about Ukraine in uh, in, in languages other than uh, Ukraine. Uh, we, we held this as a campaign uh, uh, as a campaign every year since 2021, and uh, uh, and uh, and everyone is invited to to write an article in their own native language about about Ukraine about Ukrainian culture. Uh, in in three years, about six thousand articles about Ukraine were created in about uh, ninety languages. And by the way, this year in twenty twenty three, when this campaign was held in the spring, the only in person event we held uh, within this campaign was in Malaysia. It was supported by the Wikimedia Community User Group Malaysia and the Embassy of Ukraine in Malaysia. So, so, so this is truly an international and a global campaign. Uh, and then uh, the second example I want to give is uh, more related to the to the work within Ukraine. So I've spoken uh, a lot today about the persecution of Ukrainian language, and while it uh, it took place, uh, U- Ukraine U- Ukrainians were not the only ethnic minority that, that was uh, prosecuted, and uh, there is uh, there is an indigenous group of uh, people in, in Ukraine in Crimea. Crimean Tatars, whose language and culture had also been suppressed by the Russian Empire for a long time, and even today continues to continues to get suppressed as Crimea is occupied by the, by Russia. So uh, one of the one of the directions of Wikimedia Ukraine's work uh, is 
development of uh, languages of ethnic minorities in Ukraine, and we have worked to develop uh, also Crimean Tatar uh, Wikipedia. The Crimean Tatar uh, language edition of Wikipedia is um, uh, is much smaller than Ukrainian Wikipedia, but it, uh, it, ex it exists and it uh, plays an important role in in developing uh, in developing Crimean Tatar language. Uh, so a few years ago, the Ukrainian government started uh, wide work to invest in the development of the Crimean Tatar um, Wikipedia, uh, uh, sorry, to invest in the development of the Crimean Tatar language. And we have worked to make Wikipedia part of that by uh, organizing a public campaign to create articles on the most important terms and the most important Crimean Tatar personalities uh, in, in this language edition. And as a result, Crimean Tatar Wikipedia started growing much faster since 2021, since the time we started this work. Now, of course, there is still a lot of work. Crimean Tatar Wikipedia still uh, lacks encyclopedic knowledge on, on a lot of important topics, but, but we started this work and now we are hoping to, uh, to, to, uh, we are hoping to continue. Could you shed some light on some of the challenges you face when it comes to preserving some of these um, ethnic minority languages? In the case of specifically uh, smaller ethnic minorities, uh, mm -hmm. so when we are talking not about the Ukrainian language, but for example, the Crimean Tatar language, yes. there, is, uh, there is a big challenge in the lack of ecosystem uh, uh, and the lack of in infrastructure of knowledge in this language more broadly. So there are there are much fewer uh, reliable sources in this language and there are uh, and there are much uh, there is less just this infrastructure around the language so for example uh, automatic translation tools or or, or, or just apps uh, that people uh, use to, to learn the language Duolingo for example or other apps do not support these languages uh, and it it, it, it it isn't like uh, very directly related to Wikipedia content, but it, uh, but it it impacts the development of this language just more broadly. Uh, so uh, in this case, we have to work we have to work with specific people, with specific experts who who are who are, who are well versed in in the context, well versed in the language. But but even uh, in any in, in the context of any language, uh, in the context of any work to do. I would say the most important challenge is that, uh, and maybe it's not even a challenge, but it, it, it is it is an uh, it is a peculiarity of of, of the work we do is that uh, Wikipedians cannot fix the problems alone. Wikipedians cannot uh, cannot re resolve the challenges we face alone because we rely on this broader ecosystem uh, of of reliable sources, which which I was. Uh, talking about um, this ecosystem of, of how a certain language is developed and is supported. So um, uh, we, we have to, uh, so, so for example, if there is no quality information about a certain topic, we cannot create it, it from scratch. So uh, we, we have to we have to collaborate widely with, uh, with cultural institutions, with partners, with with uh, with educational institutions, with state institutions, and so on. Of course, um, we have to keep the values of the Wikimedia movement of its uh, independence uh, uh, in perspective at all times. We cooperate with other partners, but but we have to work widely with other partners so so we can 
they can develop knowledge in, in Ukrainian language, in Ukrainian Tatar language, and, and in other languages we, we hope to, to, to support. In the years that you've been doing this, what has been the, the impact um, of, you know, trying to decolonize language, uh, knowledge, sorry, decolonize knowledge, preserve languages? Um, what has been the impact of that towards you um, and your, the way you view um, um, your country? Um, what, how enriching has that experience been? Has there been any, um, you know, interesting discoveries or perspective shifts on your end? For me personally, I uh, I have discovered just how interesting and rich uh, the Ukrainian culture is. Because uh, even though I was uh, I personally was born already in independent Ukraine, the cultural context uh, has for a long time and still partly is been, uh, impacted uh, uh, has been impacted and still is by 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 this um, by this. Um, by this long history so for example uh, uh, for example a, a lot of books uh, a lot of cultural products a lot of films tv series and so on were uh, available only in the russian language or in other languages and were not available in ukrainian and 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 a, a lot of a lot of interesting ukrainian artists a lot of interesting ukrainian writers were uh, were forgotten so uh, in Ukraine we have uh, in Ukraine we have a, a term uh, called executed renaissance. Uh, it is a term for a whole generation of uh, of artists, writers, poets who were uh, persecuted by the Soviet government in the 1930s, who were imprisoned and in many cases uh, just uh, physically executed, killed by the uh, by the Soviet government, and the work the works had been. Uh, their works uh, uh, had been for, forgotten for a long time. They're really interesting, uh, really interesting cultural uh, discoveries that, that were uh, that were created as a result of, of of the cultural boom in the 1920s. Were then forgotten, and uh, they are now rediscovered in independent Ukraine. They they have been. Uh, rediscovered just over the past uh, the past decade or so, over the past several years, and uh, and doing this work in trying to decolonize knowledge, uh, I, I, I have been also personally rediscovering the works that had been forgotten, the works that uh, maybe were created almost a century ago, but but they ring uh, really uh, relevant and interesting and important even in uh, today's context. What would you say is the importance of decolonizing language, uh, knowledge, and preserving um, language, um, especially languages that um, were pre perhaps previously under threat of, of um, you know, being extinct and, and so on and so forth? Um, because, for example, some might argue, and, I am, and I'm wondering if you, if you face... Um, if there are similar sentiments in Ukraine as well. Like, for example, um, when we look at a, at a country like China, for example, has gone through revolutions and, and you know, many cultural aspects um, have been de destroyed by, by certain revolutionaries. Um, there was a whole unifying process. Um, and, and until today, there is this a bit of a, a debate, right? Um, is that you know, on the one hand, we lost certain cultural aspects. On the other hand, we are all one. Um, you know, it's less political problems that way and, and things like that. How do you 
view this? And I'm wondering if there are similar sort of sentiments within Ukraine where, you know, there's like, what's the point of you doing any of this? You know, yeah, we, you know let's just speak that one national language and, and move on. How do you view this? Yes, so I, I would say that there, there probably was more of this sentiment during Soviet times, during the, the times of, of, of Soviet rule. But but I would say that over the past several decades in Ukraine, there have been much more understanding of the importance of cultural diversity and understanding that this unification uh, in, in in the vast majority of cases around the world, maybe even in all cases, it is uh, it is a result of uh, it is a, it is a result of violence, and it is not uh, it it's still. Can uh, cannot be successful uh, when it is imposed violently, right? So uh, there there might be a sense of unity. There might be uh, there might be a, uh, there might be a patina of unity, but but there, there are deep tensions underneath uh, this this patina of unity. If uh, if this unification uh, is. Uh, 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 if if the government is trying to achieve this unification by violent means, uh, and uh, I, I think that the example of the United States, um, which which is which is a multicultural so-called melting pot of different cultures, different languages, is is uh, is is more successful in this case, and uh, obviously not only. Not only the United States uh, is a good example here, but I am just using it uh, as a person who who, who who has a degree in 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 North American studies, uh, and uh, and and yes, so I, I would say that uh, there have been much much more importance, much more understanding of the importance of cultural diversity and understanding that Ukraine is is a good case study of different cultures, different religions even working together in unity. So, for example, uh, most Ukrainians are Christians by religions, Ukrainian Tatars are Muslims, Muslim by, by uh, religion. But uh, but in, in the past few centuries, Ukrainians and Ukrainian Tatars have, linked, have lived along, alongside together in peace uh, and continue to do so. And, uh, uh, and there is even uh, since, since, uh, since the since a Crimean Tatar was uh, appointed as the defense minister of Ukraine just a few days ago, there is even uh, a suggestion that Ukraine is the only country in the world with a Jewish president and a Muslim defense minister. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it is just one just one example of uh, of uh, successful cases of different Ukrainian ethnicities and cultures and religions living together uh, and cooperating together in peace and. That's that's the the work we we want to continue uh, doing and continue supporting. Before we wrap this conversation up, Anton, looking ahead, what are the future goals and aspirations of the Wikimedia Ukraine um, community in continuing the work um, of decolonizing knowledge? And what kind of impact do you hope all of this will have um, on the perception of Ukrainian culture and history worldwide? Uh, yes, so I would say that our main goal, our main uh, aspiration and vision is twofold. Uh, in Ukraine, uh, within Ukraine, we want to help make Ukrainian Wikipedia uh, the go-to source of knowledge 
that allows Ukrainian readers to uh, to use their mother tongue and not to be forced to rely on other languages, including the language of former colonizers. So we want the, that um, that every facet of knowledge is available in Ukrainian Wikipedia, and uh, uh, that of course it, it is great for people to learn other languages and. Uh, and 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 use use other languages use other language editions of Wikipedia, but we want for, for people not to be forced to do so. We want that we want we don't want uh, this to be the only option to the only option to, to the only option to get knowledge. Uh, uh, we, uh, we we don't want the only option to get knowledge to be uh, to, to use other languages. Uh, so that's our aspiration and vision within Ukraine. And outside Ukraine, we want to promote Ukrainian culture and Ukrainian perspective. And we want for Ukraine to be to be part of the global conversation. And uh, that's the work we are doing uh, with, with different campaigns, different projects such as Ukraine's Culture of Diplomacy Month, but of course, we would like to see it scaled and developed and, uh, and increased in uh, scope over the next years. Anton, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. That was Anton Protswak, Programs Coordinator at Wikimedia Ukraine. If you missed any part of the conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.